time to follow my instructions as I put together another Wendell Wallace production with college football and the NFL right around the bend. It's time for my spoken words and opinion on those sports to begin. Wendell's World in Sport, the podcast is stronger. James Harrison scaring them more than Ray Lewis did the opposition. And like Charles Oliveira, put in my competition into complete submission. I go on a podcasting offensive like Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills with a plethora of talent and skills, breaking the wills of my competitors like Georgia's defense did last season with a style and fashion that is oh so pleasing. I give my thoughts and opinions on the everyday of the NFL and football of college with the knowledge to appease the sport talk listener with ease. You think your podcast is better than mine? Child, please. My style is as tasty and delicious as a ribeye steak while you're just baloney. Your act is whacked and incredibly phony. You stuck to my podcast like that? I'll tell you the same damn thing that the sexy Jay Cargill tells Tony. Cut the shit. Wendell's World in Sports. Watch, listen, follow, subscribe, rate, review, and most importantly, enjoy anywhere, anyhow, anyway. You listen to your favorite podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the most unique, entertaining, and compelling sports talk podcast you'll ever listen to. Let's be great. Let's be great. Wendell's World in Sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace. Giannis charging down the lane to the rim. Double clutch. No good. Tipped in. Giannis tipped it home. Subscribe, rate, and review anywhere and everywhere you listen to this and all your favorite podcasts. And now, from Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Rip, Ruin, and ready to rumble, Wendell Wallace. Oh, it's been a long time. I shouldn't have left you without a strong podcast to step to. Think of how many weak podcasts you slept through. Time's up. I am so sorry. I am so sorry I kept you. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports. Bonjour, bonsoir, que pasa, shalom, wassalam alaikum, good morning, good abend, konnichiwa, Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Let me apologize, man. This is like the third time that I'm going to try to go ahead and record this bad boy. I recorded this on... Monday last week didn't go through. Wednesday didn't record. Friday didn't record. So I'm recording this on a Sunday evening. So hopefully that this will go through. In fact, if you're listening to this, then it did go through. But uh, Audacity, could you please get your shit together? Because I was tired of going through it all the time, putting on an hour and a half, hour and 15 minutes. And then when I went back to check, it froze at the 52-minute mark. It froze at the 37-minute mark. It froze at the 27-minute mark. So hopefully, again, if you're listening to this, then it went through. But uh, I'm going to see what I can do. If you first you don't succeed, try, 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 and then try again. So I apologize for not putting out a podcast last week. But uh, here we go. Here we go. First of all, I want to thank everybody. Special dedication for those who are listening to this podcast. Anywhere where you listen to your favorite podcast, iTunes, Amazon, uh, iHeart, you know, Spotify, anywhere where you listen to your favorite podcast. Thank you so doggone much. If you could do me a favor and subscribe, follow, like, rate, review, most importantly, enjoy the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast. I would appreciate it. And 
If you want to watch me do my thing, go over to my YouTube channel, Wendell's World of Sports. You subscribe and then comment if you like. And most importantly, again, enjoy the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you can listen to. So thank you so doggone much for your time and your patience. All right, let's go ahead and get started with um, what I want to talk about today on the podcast. Now, normally, I would be sitting up here talking about what's happening in the NFL as I as I mentioned before, on many of occasion in my podcast, both audio and visual, the fact that when training camp starts for the NFL, that is officially the start of the new year when you're speaking about for sports fans. I know baseball is going on and doing a thing right now, but uh, for the most part, uh, you know, when the beginning of the NFL training camp start, which means that the NFL season is right around the corner, along with college football, it means that, you know, your, your appetite starts to get a little bit wetter for uh, wanting to uh, go ahead and watch some folks play some sports. So I um, was going to go ahead and talk about, hey, you know, who's going to be doing what? I'm not one of those guys for the prognostications in terms of who's going to be doing what in the NFC North or the AFC West or the NFC South or any of those type of things. I don't know who's going to be winning the MVP. I don't know the over and unders. I don't know all of those things. But um, yeah, I really don't do too much in terms of concentrating, taking a look at the uh, preseason games, especially when you're taking a look at the first games of the season or the first games of the preseason. A lot of the starters don't play. Uh, There's really not too much news to come about. I mean, maybe with the uh, maybe with the situation with the Jets losing uh, Zach Wilson two to four weeks because of in- injury, unless something like that happens, for the most part, you, you really don't pay too much attention to what's going on in the NFL, especially when you're speaking about the NFL and you're speaking about the history of the NFL and for the 16, now 17 game seasons, uh, to sit there and try to break down teams and where they're going and what's going to be happening and all these type of things, even when the regular season starts. I mean, you really don't get yourself into a good groove. You really don't get yourself a good a good grip of what's happening in the NFL in terms of teams who are going to be Super Bowl champions, who are going to be Super Bowl contenders, really until, I don't know, maybe sometimes week 11, week 12, week 13. So, you know, sometimes we get bogged down in the week, the week minutiae of a team losing, or even uh, a month, uh, a multitude of games, two or three or four games in September and October, because with the start of the season, we're so amped, we're so hyped about the uh, season starting. A lot of us are playing, not me, a lot of us are playing fantasy football, a lot of us have parlays, a lot of us have future bets and all those type of things. So sometimes a loss or a win in September or October, even going on to November, a couple of wins in a row, a couple of losses in a row, we start to then kind of diagnose what are the true chances of this team doing well, winning championships and such. And year after year, man, it sometimes we don't know until December. Sometimes we don't know until week 14, 15, we get a clearer picture of who is really going to be contenders for the championship. So, you know, it's like a story. It's like a journey in terms of these teams. Now, we, we know some teams that are going to be bad. We know some teams that are going to be good. We know that. But uh, I'm not one of those guys to uh, sit here in August as I'm recording this on August 14th in the afternoon. I'm not one of those guys that's going to be sitting around talking about, okay, based on 
What happened with my Washington Commanders and the Carolina Panthers? Oh, it's without question that Baker Mayfield is going to be the starting quarterback for the totality of the season for Carolina. That Oh my goodness, Carson Wentz looked all right. So what does that mean in terms of measuring how well he's going to be doing uh, during a regular season? I'm not going to be sitting up here talking about, oh my goodness gracious, did you see Malik Willis? play his first uh, preseason game for the Tennessee Titans. I guess that means that time is going to be limited for Ryan Tannehill to be the starting quarterback for the Tennessee Titans because based on what Malik Willis did, that obviously he brings a different dimension and he brings a different style and a different flavor. And with his performance, that's just only going to catapult him closer to the opportunity this season to become the starting quarterback of the Tennessee Titans based off that first preseason game. Not going to be doing any of that. Not going to be doing any of that nonsense where I might have been wrong in not really paying attention to like, for instance, when Dak Prescott, fourth round pick from Mississippi State, tore it up during the uh, preseason. I was yawning and who caring because after all, if that was the case, Bay Loftenberg would be in the Hall of Fame right now with all of his preseason uh, accomplishments that he had. But, uh, you know, th- th- for every Dak Prescott, there's a million other Bay Loftenbergs who show out during the preseason, and that's the last that you ever heard of him as far as making an impact, not just on the league, but on his team and other things. So I'm not going to really get into that. I'm I'm excited about the NFL season. I'm going to be talking about teams moving forward this NFL season, no question about it. When you speak at the first power rankings that came out, and you see teams like the Buffalo Bills, and you see teams like the Green Bay Packers, and the Cincinnati Bengals, and the Los Angeles Rams, and such, of course I'm going to be talking about them, and talking about them in a way that uh, that they're going to be favorites, that they should be one of the favorites to make it to the Super Bowl, that should be one of the strong contenders to win a Super Bowl, but total number of wins, and all that type of nonsense, I'm not going to do, and if the Buffalo Bills or the Los Angeles Rams or the Kansas City football team or any of these top tier teams in the power rankings start start off with a bad September or run into some problems in October, November, maybe uh, falter a little bit in week between weeks 8 and 10 or 11. I'm not going to be sitting there talking about, oh, season's done. Oh, they're terrible. Oh, what's going on? Oh, what's happening? I'll put a, put a fork in them. They're done. So I'm, I'm not going to be doing any of that type of stuff. You can, but I'm not going to. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. The first segment of this podcast What I want to talk about, because when a legend retires, when an all-time great announces their retirement, when a great athlete who not only makes an impact in terms of the greatness that they bring to their sport, but also the accomplishments that they made for the betterment of society, for the betterment of their community, with someone who is going down as one of the greatest in their sport, with someone who's had the opportunity to go ahead and help change the world. Got to make a, got to, got to put that front and center. Got to spend some time. Got to give you my thoughts and opinions about it. My last podcast talked about Bill Russell, a historical icon, an American legend, not just for what he did on the basketball court, but also taking that over to what he did for society, what he did for me, what he did for you to make the world that we're living in right now a much better place than where it was before, even though now we have 
such a long way to go when we're speaking about so many other uh, groups of people who are being disenfranchised, who are being disrespected, who are uh, not being treated with the equality that they should be. Uh, before it was, before, you know, while, while we talk about all these things, uh, Bill Russell helped move the needle, helped build the consciousness, helped educate the country, the world, to make it to where you and me and your daughter and your son and your parents and your grandparents and your aunts and your uncles and your cousins and your neighbors and your friends and your wife and husband and such can live in a much better place with the opportunity to make it even better for the next generation. And then that cycle continues on an upward trajectory. So, of course, I was going to be sitting there talking about uh, Bill Russell. Someone who might not be at the same stature just yet, because when we're speaking about the accomplishments of Bill Russell, the lifetime accomplishments of Bill Russell, and we were speaking about a man who has been in our social conscious now for six decades before he passed. So this icon, this legend, this goat, when it comes to uh, what they did in terms of their athletics, in terms of their sports, doesn't really have the resume yet to really feel the impact that someone like a Bill Russell had. And this woman is still living, so we don't have to speak about her in terms of her passing. But um, in terms of her career in her athletics, once the U.S. Open is over, and I'm quite sure for Serena it's going to be over either in the first or second round, I would love to see Serena make a strong run toward the uh, final, but, um, you know, she's 40 years old. She's coming off an injury. She hadn't been playing that much, if any. I mean, she played in a couple of uh, warm-up matches, but for the most part, even someone as great as legendary as Serena, who during not even her physical prime was one where she could come back from injury and not have a lot of playing experience in terms of that season to come back and be highly competitive in a major, in a Grand Slam tournament. Well, she announced her retirement, so we're going to be speaking about by, I don't know, maybe a couple of months, we could be saying goodbye to one of the greatest, if not the greatest, tennis player of all time. Notice, I didn't say greatest female tennis player of all time. I said one of the greatest, if not the greatest, tennis player of all time. A part of the evolution, a part of the growth, a part of uh, the education that this world of this country, and I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm still at the remedial stage. I'm still learning. I'm still failing, and I'm still trying. I'm still trying to get better and still ignorant in so many ways concerning this. But uh, So believe me, this is not a situation where I'm going to be the teacher and you guys are going to be the student. I'm right there learning with you. But uh, part of the growth, part of my growth, is to recognize and to respect to say that, yes, Serena Williams retiring from tennis when her U.S. Open tournament concludes is going to go down as one of the greatest tennis players of all time. And I really think that all, that, that, that that's the only thing that needs to be said. We don't need to be sitting there talking about it, it categorizing in terms of, yeah, she's the greatest tennis player of all time, but without question, she's the greatest woman's player of all time. We don't do that with Roger Federer, do we? We don't do that with Rod Laver, do we? We, we don't do that with Novak Djokovic or Rafa Nadal, do we? Pete Sampras, do we? Pick any sport that you want that males play. We, we don't do that with Muhammad Ali, do we? We, we? we don't categorize his impact and his greatness in terms of 
Woo, man, Muhammad Ali, man, this guy was just a social warrior and what he did, and he was awesome, and he was impactful for being, but, but for being a male, he was even greater. We, we don't do that, do we? We don't have to categorize Muhammad Ali. We don't have to categorize Michael uh, Jordan. We don't have to categorize Tiger Woods. We don't have to categorize those accomplishments. We don't have to separate them, and we shouldn't have to do that with such luminaries in the pantheon of great women athletes who also made contributions to society, we don't. Have, we shouldn't have to do that with Billie Jean King. We shouldn't have to do that with Dietrich and Zaharias. We shouldn't have to do that with the Williams sisters. We shouldn't have to do that with Martina Navratilova. We just shouldn't have to do that with Amanda Nunes. We shouldn't have to do that with Althea Gibson. We shouldn't have to do that with any of those historic American icon female athletes. We shouldn't have to do that. So when we talk about the greatness of Serena Williams, when we talk about the legacy of Serena Williams, when we talk about the dominance of Serena Williams, it's as a tennis player, not just a female tennis player. Michael Jordan is considered one of the greatest players of all time and one of the greatest men's tennis players of all, uh, basketball players of all time. So the impact of Lisa Leslie as a basketball player, as a basketball player, not just women's basketball player. Now, you can laugh and you can scoff and you can roll your eyes and you can talk about Mr. Woke, Wendell Wallace is at it again. Get off your soapbox, please, because you're sounding ridiculous. But, uh, <clears throat> you know, as part of the women's movement, as part of the Me Too movement, as part of the women's movement from the beginning of the century, the beginning of the last century, you're damn right. Those women's contributions should be held in the same esteem, the same regard, the same respect, the same dedication, and the same acknowledgement as the Arthur Ashes and the Jesse Owens and the Joe Lewis's and the Jackie Robinson's and the Kurt Flood and the Paul Robeson's of the world who help build this nation, who help build this uh, society that we live in. So I'm, I'm, I'm very passionate because, again, it was, it was, and again, Bill Russell died. So we get the outpouring of, you know, of, we get the outpouring of emotions and thoughts and platitudes and legacy speak and all the type of stuff. We, we get that. We understand that. And it was fantastic and it was wonderful that Bill Russell got to hear all those things about them before he passed. Just like Don Shula. I, 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 I'm, I, I thought it was absolutely awesome knowing that Don Shula died, knowing how great of a coach that he was and how ridiculously awesome that record was that he had in terms of the coaches with the most uh, victories in the NFL, probably knowing that in all likelihood that uh, no one, at least my generation and a couple of generations going back, will ever get close to that record. It's, it's nice to know that Don Shula knew that his peers knew how awesome of an accomplishment that was and how legendary of a coach that he was. So, you know, it's right now, and it, 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 the, the example should really be when we're speaking about, well, why wait with Serena Williams? Why should we go on and on and on and on about Serena Williams when she's a very young woman at 40 years old and she's just retiring from tennis and she seems to be in great health and she seems to have a wonderful life ahead of her in terms of maybe not playing tennis competitively anymore, but raising a family and doing charitable work and continuing to... Uh, build on her legacy of helping others and helping move the society in a positive direction and using her name and using her brand to help others, which in turn can help society. So why, when she announced her retirement, do we have to go into the how great is she and how wonderful is she? One name comes to mind 
when it's never too late, man. It is never too early, man. It is never too premature, man and woman, to be speaking about someone's greatness and letting her know how great she is, how great and accomplishments and everything that went down. It's never too late. It's never too early to uh, give somebody platitudes in terms of the greatness of Serena Williams and what she did. I've got one name to bring up that I wish, I wish more people could have let him know what he meant to him. And he knew how impactful that he was, but I don't know how really impactful that he was to a generation as such. And we lost him. And now he's gone. And we didn't think we would lose him. And we didn't think that, we, we thought that we would have time. We thought that we, he, we would have plenty of time to let him know how we felt, how we felt about him as a player and as a person and as a human being and what he was evolving to. And that was Kobe Bryant. When Kobe Bryant died, it was a situation where we were like, damn, man, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, the final season of the NBA and people got to say, bomb of mentality and you're great and you're awesome. But it, it just seemed like because the death of him and his beautiful daughter, along with the six other beautiful human beings, because that was so shocking, because that was uh, a situation where it was completely not in our conscious at all, that it was almost like we, we left something off the table in terms of letting him know what he meant to a generation of not just basketball players, but to a community. And you saw that outpouring of emotion. You saw that outpouring of love. And you still see it um, since he's gone. So for me, I, I don't think you can ever, when you're speaking about a, a, a legendary athlete at the level of Serena Williams, when you're speaking about an icon, when you're speaking about someone of such great stature, of Serena Williams. I don't think you can ever uh kind of say, well, okay, let's, you know, she ain't dead. Let's kind of let's kind of calm down on lionizing this woman here, you know, be before we start putting her face on the side of a mountain. Let's kind of calm down a little bit. No, 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 no. Let her know. Let her know. So, as I mentioned before, man, on Tuesday, last Tuesday in a first person essay in the latest issue of Vogue, Serena Williams announced her retirement from tennis. Once again, she is going to play in the 2022 U.S. Open, which starts later this month. Some of what she wrote in the essay said, it's the hardest thing that I could ever imagine. I don't want it to be over, but at the same time, I'm ready for what's next. Serena is said a major part of the decision to wind down her career now is that she wants to have another child. And she said, quote, if I, if I have to choose between building my tennis resume in building my family, I choose the latter. Williams and her husband have a five-year-old daughter named Olympia. So from the essay, she wrote in the last year, Alexis and I, Alexis is her husband, Alexis and I have been trying to have another child, and we recently got some information from my doctor that put my mind at ease and made me feel that whenever we're ready, we can add to our family. I definitely don't want to be pregnant again as an athlete. I need to be I need to be two feet into tennis or two feet out. So she is going to uh, go ahead and do this. And you're speaking again, arguably one of the most accomplished dominant tennis players and athletes of all time. Again, regardless of gen gender, 
Put her right up there in terms of the greatest male athletes of all time. Jim Brown, Jim Thorpe, Bo Jackson, Pele, Will Chamberlain, Jerry Rice, Jesse Owens, Lionel Messi, Michael Phelps, Gordy Howe, Usain Bolt. Put her right there. Put her right there. And, and while you're there, while you're doing that, please see if you could add in such also female luminaries as Simone Biles, Bonnie Blair, Jackie Joyner, Kersey, as I mentioned before, Babe Dietrichson, Zaharias, Amanda Nunez, Lindsey Vaughn, Wilma Rudolph, Cheryl Miller, Dara Torres, Billie Jean King, Margaret Court, Martina Navratilova, Diana Taurasi, Althea Gibson. Put them all together. Put them all together and then have that conversation about the goats, about the greatest of all times. Do it. Great thing about Serena, man. Began her pro career when she was 14 in 1995 and has won 23 Grand Slams, seven Australian Open, seven Wimbledons, the U.S. Open six times, and the French Open three times. Altogether, she has 23 Grand Slam singles titles to her name, the most by any player in the Open era, won 85% of her over 1,000 singles matches in her career, and 73 titles, which is fifth overall in history. And if you also throw in the fact that you know what? She was also a mother and a monster in doubles. When you speak about uh, her dominance with her sister Venus, um, she has 14 Grand Slam double titles and has won 85% of her 126 uh, doubles matches. So, I mean, you know, you're speaking about someone um, in terms of her uh, of her greatness. Uh, you know, the only person off the top of my head who ever dominated in both singles and doubles would be John McEnroe when he paired with, paired with uh, Peter Fleming. And the only reason why John McEnroe played doubles was because he didn't like to practice. So he's got his practicing in by playing doubles and, and being great and being the number one doubles player in the world while he was also the number one player in the world in singles. So, you know, Serena, and I didn't even go into the you know, the accomplishments that she had when she also played mixed doubles. So th- this is a woman who, look, and you know, w- one of the things... One of the things that's really interesting in the careers of these legends, when you're speaking about Serena, when you're speaking about Michael Jordan, and you're speaking about Tiger Woods, you, go, you, you take a look at someone like a Michael Jordan who played a sport which, for the most part, you know, black folks playing basketball is not really a, not really a ooh, wow, isn't that something thing. You know, when I'm talking about Jordan's, like, ooh-ah-ness and his impact on society and his greatness uh, came from strictly his basketball playing. And with the help of uh, Nike and, you know, in that commercialized deal and the corporation, shoe corporation pushing him. But, but, but Jordan really, as far as the basketball player is concerned, the baggy shorts and everything, you know, take the game to the air and all those type of things. Elgin Baylor started that about... 50 years ago before Jordan got on the court of 30, 40 years ago before Jordan got on the court. But just in terms of his greatness, we ooh and ah, and the greatest thing about Jordan, why he was considered as so great and a cultural icon and a celebrity and why his greatness sustains today is because, A, again, a great job marketing promotion by Nike playing a sport which was uh, pretty popular, set up by Magic and Larry and and Bill Russell and Wilt Chamberlain and going all the way back to George Mike and the stuff to have that platform to take a, a sport that was very well known to American is while basketball is played all over the world, while they have professional basketball leagues all over the world, for the most part, we know that 
basketball is an American game played now mostly by inner city black folks for the most part when we think a stereotypical of what a basketball player looks like even though basketball again is played in the suburbs it's played in the coal mine of communities it's played all over the country in different communities and such but stereotypical wise we, we think of basketball as an urban game as a black man's game a black kid's game so Jordan came in with that platform Jordan came in with that foundation so in terms of moving the needle like a Jackie Robinson did, like a Jack Johnson did, like a Joe Lewis did. Michael Jordan wasn't the first in anything. Jack Johnson was the first black heavyweight champion. Joe Lewis set the foundation for the civil rights movement. Jackie Robinson, the first black man to play Major League Baseball. Uh, you know, Althea Gibson being the first black woman to win a Grand Slam championship. Arthur Ashe, first black man in 1975 winning Wimbledon. All, all of these firsts. Michael Jordan wasn't the first of anything. His greatness, his legendary status is purely based on what he did as a basketball player. And what also helps is the fact that he never stood for anything in terms of any social issues. He didn't rock the boat. In the words of that bitch, Lauren Ingram, all that all Michael Jordan did was just shut up and play basketball for the most part and sell sneakers. Because after all, like he said, Republicans buy tennis shoes too. So I think that also endeared Michael Jordan, that for a good number of folks from this country, that more, Michael Jordan knew his role. Michael Jordan stayed in his lane. Michael Jordan knew his place. Despite the power, despite the impact, despite the intellectual intelligence, despite the gravitas, despite everything about the man of Michael Jordan, who was no Sam Boyle, who was no House Negro, who was nobody's uh, fool, who was nobody's slave, who was nobody's butler, who was nobody's step and fetch. The fact that Michael Jordan stayed in his lane served a particular type of, whew, a particular type of, thank goodness that the that the boy knew his place. And I think when we speak about the argument between who's greater, LeBron James and Michael Jordan, I think some of the hatred towards LeBron James when we speak about that really had nothing to do with basketball itself. Now, you can sit there and talk about, well, Michael Jordan won six championships, and Michael Jordan was the defensive player of the year, and Michael Jordan had the killer instinct, and Michael Jordan never choked in the playoffs, and Michael Jordan hit every important shot that there was to mankind, and Michael Jordan did this, and Michael Jordan sold more shoes, and all this kind of stuff. All of that stuff, all of these things that people use and get heated about when they have that argument, who's greater, Michael Jordan or LeBron James, one thing subliminally that they do not talk about when they say why is Michael Jordan a better player than LeBron James or why do you like Michael Jordan so much more than LeBron James or why does your hate for hatred for LeBron James come out so strongly when you even suggest that LeBron James is on the same level or near the same level as a Michael Jordan one of the things is because LeBron James is outspoken LeBron James does not shut up in trouble. LeBron James will let his voice be heard on things other than basketball. And some people just don't like that. When LeBron James is speaking up for the community, the shut up and dribble folks, which are in large number, they put that into the equation in terms of this is the reason why Michael Jordan is a better basketball player than LeBron James. And some people even might even use that as one of the main reasons why Michael Jordan 
in their minds is a better basketball player than LeBron James. Now, I'm going to get this back to Serena in a second, but look, I'm not here to argue who's better, Michael Jordan or LeBron James. It's a ridiculous argument. It's a stupid argument. It's an inane argument. It's a pathetic argument for people with nothing better to do. But uh, and if you want to say Jordan is better, fine. I mean, you know, who's better looking? Who was better looking in 1992, Selma Hayek or Halle Berry? Shit, who's better looking in 2020, Selma Hayek or Halle Berry? Can you go wrong either way? But it's just sometimes they add in the, well, you know, Michael Jordan never rubbed me the wrong way. Michael Jordan never gave me a thought or opinion about what's going on outside of the court when it pertains to the black community, when it pertains to police brutality, when it comes to the injustices of the criminal justice system, when it comes to uh, a, a president of, of of this country. So I was able to enjoy enjoy Michael Jordan knowing that he was almost vanilla in my eyes. He was colorless. I could be colorless watching uh, Michael Jordan. LeBron James, you can't do that. LeBron James is going to let you know how you feel, how he feels on a multitude of things outside of the court, whether you agree with him or not. So when we speak about the greatness of Michael Jordan, sometimes that's lifted even more. And the same thing with Tiger Woods. Now, Tiger Woods is a situation where he came into a sport, black man, and yeah, I know he's half this and half that black man. Tiger Woods came into the game of golf, a very white sport with a strong history of prejudice and misogyny, and it still continues in some areas concerning the sport. But but here was a guy with, with dark skin going to clubs and playing on golf courses that any other black man in this country probably wouldn't be able to get on unless they had a boatload of money and kept their mouths shut on certain things. But with the good Negro... That Tiger Woods came in there with a flash and a style and a skin tone that blew everyone away. That was Tiger Woods. He was great. He was dominant. And in a game like golf where people were starting to win their majors, sometimes in their mid to late 30s, sometimes in their 40s, Tiger Woods came in at the age of 22, 23, 24 and was ripping up shop. So all of those things played into the greatness of Tiger Woods and all of those things, uh, you know, led to the social status of where Tiger Woods is right now in terms of importance. And Serena kind of plays on that same level as Tiger Woods in terms of the interest, in terms of the impact, in terms of, you know, why we consider her on such a, on such high regard. Now, the fact that we view men's sports in this country a little bit more than women's sports in this country might knock Serena down a peg a little bit from Tiger and MJ. But when you're speaking about the story of Serena Williams and everything that she had to put up with her and her sister and just the story in itself, Hey, look, man, you know, we, we've had stories. I mean, the Manning brothers and, and, and we, we've had brothers in professional sports do great things, do wondrous things. And we're speaking about what are the greatest siblings in sports history. It's got to be the Williams sisters. And their story coming from the inner city or coming from, I hate, this, I hate to use the word streets, but coming from the neighborhoods where they grew up in, is skewing the Nick Bolletary schools and all those other fancy, dancy, high-class, hoi-toy type of deals where the uh, the prodigies of 
tennis when their girls and boys go to and let them learn in the Nick Bolateri down there in Florida and let them uh, get to the circuit and get their career started, get their legacy started that way. The Williams sisters were taught by their father. And the Williams sisters had to go through, and speaking about Serena now, because Venus is still playing, but now speaking about Serena, having to go through the fact that this was a black woman in a white person's sport, dominating, doing it with her style, doing it with doing it with her flair. Because also you have to recognize when we're speaking about women's sports is the fact that there's a sex appeal situation into it. Let, let's be real here. For the most part, who watches sports? For the most part, for the most part, men watch sports. Or, or should I say this? Who, which uh, gender do most of the sports cater their advertising and everything to? It's mostly males. So when we watch a female sport with females playing and we're men, come on, man, we ain't dumb. We ain't naive. Of course, man, we're going to be taking a look at their attractiveness level. Of course we are. Women do the same thing with men, but for men watching women play their sports is more pronounced. For instance, um, you know, it doesn't matter how quote-unquote sexy, good-looking a woman might think a male tennis player or a UFC fighter or a boxer or a skater or a gymnast or a track and field of male athlete athlete. It doesn't matter how great the female thinks that they are. They're still going to be curtailed in terms of how much that's going to play into how much press they get, how much spotlight they get, how much advertising they get. Does it make, is there an impact on that? Absolutely, 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 absolutely. If the females are are flocking to the tennis courts or to the boxing rings or whatever because they're ooing and aahing, over a good-looking male athlete? Well, of course that's going to have an impact, but not like the other way around with females. And all the examples I have to give you is one, Anna Kornikova and Anna Ivanovich for tennis. And when we're speaking about the sexuality and we're speaking about the attractiveness level, when it comes to women's sports, that comes into play. Especially when we're speaking about because of folks like Billie Jean King and Martina Navratilova and later on Cheryl Swoops and such, that the um, that the presence or the acknowledgement of um, homosexuality, or in terms of hey, you know what, Martina Navratilova is gay, Billie Jean King is gay. You know, you have women out there playing sports and been doing that for decades who are gay. In tennis and other sports. I'm in the new years. She's gay. That, as far as women are concerned, that hurdle is not as large as it is for men. Men and, you know, men in football and baseball and basketball and other sports. I mean, there's still a stigma attached to that. It's better than it was five, ten years ago, but there's still a stigma for. Uh, someone who might come out in the NBA or might come out in Major League Baseball or might come out as a UFC fighter or might come out as a track and field athlete or might come out as a cricket player or might come out as a football player and say that they're gay. I mean, he's going to be facing a lot more bullshit. He's going to be facing a lot more nonsense. He's going to be facing a lot more discrimination. He's going to be facing a lot more everyday, once again, bullshit than 
women do. So all, all of that is to say that sexuality <clears throat> plays into how we sometimes measure greatness from men compared to women. And Serena Williams, when she played her tennis career, never fit the form of what a decent amount of people thought beauty should be. She's too big. She's too thick. She looks like a man. She's built like a man. The braids, the skin tone, all of this type of nonsense came into play. Why do you think Maria Sharapova for years and years and years got more advertising dollars than Serena Williams, despite the fact that Serena was whooping her ass on an everyday basis? Why was that? Because Maria Sharapova fit more of the fit more of the ideal of what a beautiful woman or an attractive woman should look like to the multitude, to the masses. So the advertising dollars went more to her because of her skin tone and because of her attractiveness level, but skin tone also. And while Serena Williams, who I always, when I was doing radio at KDUS AM 1060 Deduce back at the beginning of the 21st century, and I would sit there and I would be the only one talking about, let me tell you something, man, between Anna Kornikova and Serena Williams, give me Serena Williams seven days a week, eight days a week, 365 days a year, without question. And of course, I would get, you know, you're just a racist and you're playing a race card. No, no, because Anna Kornikova is a stick. Serena Williams is a woo man. Hold on to that baby. I like Roy, like Roy Hamilton, like Roy Hamilton said. Hold on to that and don't let go. No, don't worry. I ain't letting go. I'm never letting go. So yeah, attractiveness level played in that to that also. And Serena was the one that helped start changing people's mind, changing the perceptions that way. And someone like Serena, we talk about a more uh, substantive level was also speaking on women's rights and lending her time and lending her uh, financial resources and such and lending her presence to issues to help advance the women's movement toward equality in this country, a, move that, a movement that needs to continue to uh, continue to grow and continue to move. And, I mean, she's something else, man, and it's, and it's going to be great to see her moving forward, what else she is going to do with the, with the rest of her life. So, I mean, you know, again... The main thing that I want to get into this is the fact that, uh, you know, she's, uh, she, she's someone that, uh, we need to, uh, you know, again, the, the, the goodbyes or the I love you's or the you're the greatest or all of these things, they, they can't be enough. They can't be over the top enough. They can't be grandiose enough. Because, man, you never know when you're gone, man. You never know when that day might come and, you know, we don't want to be sitting there talking about, oh, damn, I wonder if Serena knew this, or I wonder if I, I wish I could have told Serena that, or I wish I could have let her know this, that, and the other. And if we told her before, shit, she might forget. Tell her again. Tell her again and again and again and again. And not and not to say that she's going to be untouchable in terms of if she makes a mistake, if she falls, if she says something that she shouldn't be saying, if she uh, steps up and or she missteps in any way. That's not to say that she's not above criticism, if warranted. But I think that what she has done for the society, what she has done for the women's movement, and yeah, is she the equivalent of LeBron James when it comes to lending her voice and giving her opinions? No. But hey, look, man, not everybody can be flamethrowers. You know, not not everybody can be Muhammad Ali. Some people have to be Arthur Ashe. 
You can't be yellers and you can't be screamers and you can't be over the top and you can't be uh, obnoxious and such. Sometimes there's a quiet, gentle grace that's just as effective as the polar opposite of that. So, yeah, I mean, Serena, I mean, I don't think Serena would be as effective in terms of what she's doing in the terms of the impact that she's had that if she was known as the tennis sister soldier. You know, where, where, where she was, uh, you know, angry black woman coming out like that. You know, where, where you know, before every match she's kneeling or, or doing those type of things. You know, one of the great things is the fact that, you know, problems can be solved. Movements can be made. Changes can be made in a multitude of ways. Doesn't have to be one way all the time. One, one size does not fit all. So, and not one way reaches everybody. Muhammad Ali couldn't have had the impact that he had if he didn't have the Arthur Ashes of the world and the Magic Johnsons of the world and the Jim Browns of the world and others who weren't as boisterous, who weren't as out there, who weren't as strong in their convictions in terms of letting everybody know. Everybody know. Muhammad Ali would not have reached all of those people. Just like in the civil rights movement, man. They said, let me tell you something, man. We need some, we need some folks out there who are going to go down to the sit-ins and go down to Mississippi and Alabama and ride the ride the buses and do all those type of things and risk their lives and, and, and march and protest. And then we need folks out there who can um, go out and do something else total opposite and still be on the same page in terms of what the goal is in terms of the movement, whether it be civil rights, whether it be gay and lesbian, whether it be uh, Hispanic movements, whether it be uh, women's rights and their movements it's not one size fits all so with Serena what she did on the court and what she did off the court spoke volumes and uh, she should be she should be absolutely applauded by that so Serena Williams there you go all right so spoke about that want to get into some uh want to get into some uh, football here on Wendell's World the Sports the Podcast with yours truly Wendell Wallace but like I mentioned before man I'm not I, I really can't maybe the, the next podcast down the line maybe when I see another exhibition game when the teams play their second exhibition games cuz remember now because of the 17 game schedule that there's only three preseason games so who knows I might get into a little bit I mean Trey Lance had a decent showing on the uh, on their first game against Green Bay Packers, got an opportunity to see a little bit of Jordan Love play for the Packers. Woo. Boy, Packer fans, you better hope Aaron Rodgers doesn't get injured. Um, so there, there, there were some things. I mean, most of the starters, most of the players who were going to have impact are um, either didn't play or had one series and that was it. So how can you take anything from that? And especially after the first or second quarter, second half, when you're speaking about players who either are not going to be making the roster or if they do, are not going to be having a huge impact. And the mentality of these teams and these franchises and these coaches and these players going into these exhibition games, especially those who have established themselves as players who are going to be counted on and or are going to have the responsibility uh, for the outcome of their seasons, that their main objective to going and playing in these games, whether it be a series or not, is to uh, not get injured and the final score really doesn't count. How can we then take what uh, a first preseason game or a second preseason game, 
how can we take those games and then kind of catapult that to uh, talk about, you know, the impact that they're going to have on the season, again, based on those preseason games. But I'll speak if there's something that comes around, if there's something that kind of catches my eye, or if there's something that uh, needs to be spoke about, because after all, we are speaking about NFL, we are speaking about America's game, we are speaking about, uh, you know, a sport as popular in this country as, as any. I mean, you can stack the NBA and the baseball and hockey and everything else, you can put them all together. They still don't equate the importance and the impact and the attention getting and the enthusiasm and the interest of the NFL. So, you know, all of those things will uh, come into play a little bit later on on my podcast. But uh, when we get back, after I boogie, after I get down a little bit, after I exhale, after I do all my thing here, I'm going to be speaking about the NFL power rankings and a team that is favorite or should be favorite or Vegas odds say are favorite to win the championship. I'll take a look at their team, take a look at their season, give you my thoughts and opinions here on the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you can listen to. My name is Wendell Wallace. You are listening to Wendell's World of Sports. Relax. Go up and dance a little bit because uh, time to boogie. Last segment of the podcast. Last segment of the program. Welcome back to Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you, that you could be with us again. I apologize for um, not putting out a podcast last week. I know there's many people listening to this saying, "Y'all, you didn't put out a podcast last week. Who gives a fuck?" But uh, I want to th- for for those who are just who are just just need to get uh, you need to get my your, your fill of what I'm uh, putting down on a weekly basis concerning the world of sports and how the world of sports impacts the world itself. I apologize. It won't happen again. I don't know what happened, man. First of all, last week school started for me, so I had to make that trip out to uh, Mesquite from my humble abode here in northwest uh, Las Vegas. So that was uh, getting back into the routine of things of waking up at 445 in the morning and being on the road by 530 in the morning and that was something else. Was glad to get back to work. Was glad to get back to harassing and hounding and annoying with the, the kids and all that kind of good stuff and trying to tell them some life lessons and try to get back to that and all that kind of good stuff. Kind of do my part to make sure that when I leave this earth, whenever that time may be, whether it be in five minutes from now or five decades, wherever, it ain't going to be five decades, that somehow, some way, I've left something in terms of a legacy for somebody. So, uh, you know, focused on, you know, focused on um, bringing the kids some knowledge, some education in terms of something outside of their community, bring some uh, 
just, 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 just bring something a little bit different. I mean, you know, in school, it shouldn't always be about science and math and English and foreign languages and uh, future farmers of America and, uh, you know, ROTC and, and, and art and music and all those type of things. Those things are greatly important. Yes, sirree. Yes, sirree. But, uh, you know, just getting to know the kids and kind of like, you know, hey, man, especially when you're dealing with a, a rural area where there's really not anything around them concerning cultural-wise or diversity-wise, to uh, let them see something different, to let them know something different, to let them hear something different, to uh, let them know exactly, hey, man, you know what, uh, y'all better start, uh, you know, developing a foundation for these skills to work hard right now because uh, let me tell you something, a boss is going to be much harder than the teacher and the everyday of everything is going to be much harder than what you're doing now. And if you think school is boring, if you think school's a waste of time, if you think school is something that you ain't into, wait until you get a fucking job. <laughs> that's where my good man and woman, that's going to be, uh, you know, that, that reality is going to hit you hard, man. When you graduate from high school, the next day, that's it. High school graduation, you're pumped, you're amped. Oh, yeah, this is great. This is wonderful. This is awesome. Hey, congratulations. Woohoo! What the fuck are you going to do next day? What are you going to do after all that's over? Because unless you're going to college, you're done. Your schooling days are done. Your routine for the last 12, 13, whatever years are done. You got a plan. What are you going to be doing? What do you want to do? You better start now. Yeah, you're a junior in high school. Yeah, you're a sophomore in high school. You better start planning now. You better start having an idea. I don't care how kooky. I don't care how nutty. I don't care how unrealistic. I don't care what it is. You better have a plan other than looking at Instagram reels, other than deciding uh, you know, who you're going to be hanging out with after school, all that other bullshit. You better start having a plan and start putting down, laying down the foundation. Because it's going to come quicker than you think. Graduating class of 2024 and 25, it's going to come quicker than you think. Mr. Wallace has spoken. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Otis Redding, John F. Kennedy, Malcolm X, and Anita Baker. Biatches. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host. That's right, Mr. Wallace is talking. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host. Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. All right, let's get back to... Uh, Let's get back to what I wanted to talk about. The As I mentioned before, uh, you know what? Before I get to the NFL, um, you know, who's doing what and who's doing where, Deshaun Watson still in purgatory in terms of what's he going to be doing, in terms of what his suspension is going to be, in terms of the uh, knowledge of what's going to be happening to him. Um, he played the first preseason game. He started. Um, he went, I think, one for five for seven yards or something like that. So he got back on the field for the first time in a while. Yeah, he made his made his first uh, first game action, first game action on Friday against the uh, Houston Texans. So he went out there and there was this big uh, hullabadoo about should he be playing and what's going on. In fact, ESPN reporter Emily Kaplan blasted the Cleveland Browns as living in denial by starting Watson. This is what she said on the first take. She said, I feel like the Browns are living in denial because they're living in their own world right now because of his contract that they gave him with all of these millions of dollars of guarantees because they live in this bubble in Ohio where Deshaun Watson gets on the field at training camp. The fans are cheering for him and asking him for 
autographs. And then she went on to accuse the Browns of taking quarterback Jacoby Brissett, who was set to start in Watson's absence for granted. She said that the Browns haven't treated Brissett with respect and the team should let him take reps in training camp since he'll be the starter through weeks through uh, week six of the regular season as of right now with the possibility that he could be the starter for the entire season. Interesting. Very interesting. I wonder who she's talking about though when she says um, the Browns are living in denial. Who exactly is living in denial? That's what we need to know. Is it Kevin Stefanski? Is it Jimmy Haslam? Is it someone else in the upper management role? I mean, what what's going on here? I'm quite sure that the um, Cleveland management team, along with the coach, has had uh, discussions in terms of what they're going to be doing about uh, the Deshaun Watson situation. Maybe it's a situation where Jimmy Haslam is saying, hey, look, you know what? I'm paying $230 fucking million. You better get out there and have him play. And Stefanski is saying, well, you know, I would rather have Jacoby Brissett take this, that, and the other, but since you're the owner, hey, I'm going to do what the owner says because after all, He's signing the paycheck. So I, I think we might need to get a little bit more clarity. If we're going to be accusing someone of living in denial, I think we need to kind of zero in a little bit more. Is it Stefanski, the head coach? I mean, what's the deal here in terms of is this going to be a situation where possibly they have something in the works to say if Deshaun Watson is going to be suspended more than six games? Let's just say, for instance, he's going to be suspended for the rest of the season that we're going to go all out and get ourselves a Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, maybe that's a situation right there. Maybe they're having discussions right there. So the disrespect that's being shown to Jacoby Brissett and really a situation is maybe they've seen something. Maybe they know something in terms of what he's been showing those guys in the film room, in the quarterback room, on the practice field that make them say, you know what? If we have to put him out there for the entire year, the possibility that we ain't going to be doing any good anyway. Because when you're speaking about you're denying Jacoby Brissett reps with the first team, then you also have to go ahead and define what is your season going to be. And of course, the definition of that will come into a clearer focus when we finally figure out how long Deshaun Watson is going to be suspended. But just for the argument's sake, if we're going to be going on the um, discussion that Deshaun Watson is going to be suspended for the entire year. Well, then maybe it's a situation where, look, I mean, we're going to do everything we can to bring in another quarterback. Yes, I know they've been saying we're going to go with Jacoby Brissett. They're going to go with Jacoby Brissett. And Brissett has had NFL starting experience. He started five games for the Miami Dolphins of last year. My only point is, and Emily, Emily Kaplan maybe has greater access to what's going well, I know she has greater access to what's going on with the Cleveland Browns than I do because I haven't been out to practice. I haven't spoken to any of the players or Deshaun Watson or the coach or the general manager or the owners, and I'm having I don't have any sources uh, that can tell me that this is going on and this is the reason why Deshaun Watson is starting and this is the idea behind this behind it and this is uh, this person's idea of doing that. I don't have privilege. I don't. I'm not privy to that type of information. But uh, I, I just feel that, you know, I, living in denial, living in denial. I don't, I don't know the whole thing about Deshaun Watson being cheered by fans and asking him for autographs. I, I don't know what that entails. I don't know if that plays any type of role in we weren't going to start Deshaun Watson or because of his suspension probably going to be going higher or at least six games that we got to go ahead and start Jacoby Brissett and get him more reps. But when we saw 
the cheers and the outpouring of love for Deshaun Watson. We changed our mind, and that's a that's a uh, that's, that's a situation that the uh, Cleveland Browns have to deal with. I don't know. I don't know. But I mean, you know, Deshaun Watson had to play football in over a year, so I mean, I don't know what one series on in a in a first preseason game is going to do. Now, if they're neglecting Jacoby Brissett, getting the certain amount of reps with uh, the Browns' offense on the practice field, I mean, that's that's up for argument. But uh, I mean, I it was just an interesting quote. Now and now. Deshaun Watson comes out and starts talking about, I apologize for uh, the women that I hurt or the women that I hurt if I caused any harm or some nonsense like that. It was a it was a situation where I don't I don't know who told him to do that. I don't know a guy who sits there for all of this time and denies, 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 denies any wrongdoing. And then he comes out and says, I'd like to apologize to the women. What do you have to apologize for? What are you apologizing for? I thought you said you didn't do anything. So you're saying that you did do something? If you, I don't know. I don't know. But we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. When the arbitrator rules on the appeal that the NFL had for Deshaun Watson being suspended a little bit more than what he did. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. All right, so the NFL power rankings are going to be coming up for this season. I've already been taking a look. And when you have teams that are projected to have legitimate chances of being in the Super Bowl, being Super Bowl champions, of course, the Buffalo Bills are leading the way with the Los Angeles Rams, the Cincinnati Bengals, the Tampa Tom Buccaneers. They're mostly, when you're speaking about the top four or five teams, those are the teams that are usually on those top four, uh, top four in terms of the ranking is concerned. If you take a look at Bleacher Report and NFL.com and CBS Sports and ESPN and USA Today, if you take a look at their rankings, those are the consensus of the top four or five teams in the NFL starting starting the season. Um, Buffalo. Yeah, I can see that team finished 11th and 6th last season. That's a team that should be favored to uh, win the championship. As I mentioned before, made... Uh, made the playoffs last season, 11-6, gave Bill Belichick one of the worst and embarrassing beatings in the playoffs, 47-17 in the AFC wildcard game, then lost to Kansas City, 42-36 in overtime in the divisional playoffs, one of the best playoff games in years. So, yeah, I mean, I can see coming off of that uh, at the end of the season, even though they lost and everything that went down with the other teams uh, moving on that were competing for championships. I can see why uh, the Buffalo Bills are leading the pack in terms of this should be the, this should be the team that uh, should be favored to uh, win the championship. And when you take a look at the season of last season, and once again, it goes back to my thoughts and opinions about why people shouldn't be losing their minds or start doing all, all types of crazy stuff at the uh, beginning of the season. If you take a look at the team this year that's supposed to be favored to win the Super Bowl, last season they started this, the uh, the campaign slowly and inconsistently. Well, the first game of the season against Pittsburgh at home before winning their next four games. Then by the end of October, after their bye, they were 5-2, and two, but then over the next seven games, they went 3-4, and four, losing games to Jacksonville. Getting blown out by Indianapolis, forty-one to fifteen, losing fourteen to ten to New England when the Patriots ran the ball. For, remember that game, Monday Night Football, and like you know, 
unbelievable conditions, 55-mile-per-hour winds, and New England ran the ball 46 times, threw it only three times, and Buffalo had multitude of chances inside the red zone but couldn't uh, get into the end zone and then couldn't make a field goal. So after 13 games, they were 7-6 and six after losing 33-27 to Tampa Bay. So what happens? After not winning two games in a row until mid-December, they finished by winning four games in a row, got fat, happy, and motivated, and the momentum started playing the Atlanta Falcons, playing the New York Jets of the world, which propelled them into the uh, playoffs and to do as well as they did with Josh Allen, um, who I think should be the uh, favorite to uh, win the NFL MVP if we're going to be running, um, if we're going to be doing that, if we're going to be playing that game early this season that uh, I think that, you know, he is the uh, front runner at the beginning of the season based on what he did over the last couple of games in the playoffs last season. This this year, you know, you got him and Stephon Diggs as one of the best quarterback wide receiver wide receiver wide receiver tandems in the league. Allen threw for over 4,400 4, yards, 36 touchdowns, 15 interceptions. Again, it was a situation starting the season. He was a little shaky. He was a little inconsistent. There was some talking a little bit about what's up with Josh Allen. You know, some of the accuracy that he showed uh, in the 2020 season. We're not seeing it so far through the first four or five, six games of this season. What's going on? What's happening? Blah, blah, blah. He wound up completing 63% of his 646 pass attempts. He also had career highs in rushing attempts and, and yardage. So, look, I mean, the Buffalo Bills, one of the deepest teams in the league, Stephon Diggs had 103 catches last season, which was ninth in the league, over 1,200 yards, which was eight, uh, eighth in the league, 10 touchdowns, which was tied for six. Gabriel Davis is a great number two compliment wide receiver, and many prognosticators and experts are talking about him having a breakout season after showing his uh, wants and his abilities in the playoffs. They, they improved their defense with the acquisition of Vaughn Miller, revamped their entire offensive line. In fact, the defense that was number one in a couple of categories last season, when it comes to their defensive line, the starters for the 2021 uh, defensive line for the Buffalo Bills, no longer there. Instead, they brought in Vaughn Miller and Jordan Phillips and Shaq Lawson and Daquan Jones and Tim Settle. And with the idea of that group having more size and speed and aggressiveness and experience to help out the defensive coordinator, Leslie Frazier, who remains one of the better, if not one of the top defensive coordinators in the NFL. Because the last season that I mentioned before, the uh, Bills defense was first in league in the league in points allowed, first downs allowed, and total yards gained allowed. So, yeah, I mean, a situation where they bring in what they hopeful, hopefully will be a, a uh, pass rusher of great impact in Von Miller, people rave about the effect that he had both on and off the court when it came to Aaron Donald, how it made his job so much easier. And it was Miller who um, who suggested, who implored uh, Donald to uh, be more vocal, to be more of a leader. So not only with Miller are you getting the production but you're also getting the leadership from that defense. You're speaking about, you know, def- the, 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 the Bills having one of the better secondaries in the league. Also, I know that Tredavious White is going to be out towards ACL in November. But uh, yeah, the Bills, the Bills look good. 
course, there's some questions about what's going to be happening along their offensive line, mainly the guard position. I think there should be some type of, uh, the word is not concern, but also, uh, you know, they might try to do something to improve their, their running game. That's not going to be one of the strengths of the, um, strengths of the offense. But when you have, again, when you have the offensive weaponry at the wide receiver and at the quarterback position, you don't know you don't need Adrian Peterson in his prime. You, you don't need Jim Brown and you don't need Walter Payton back there to uh make a make a huge difference. Of course, some of the things that I'm gonna be interested in seeing is how is the loss of Brian Dable, who's now the head coach of the New York Giants, he was the offensive coordinator for the Bills for a while and helped in the growth and the explosion of Josh Allen turning him into a not just a franchise quarterback, but one of the best quarterback, if not the best quarterback in the league outside of Patrick Mahomes. How are they going to uh how are they going to uh sustain or how are they going to uh yeah sustain that that loss? And and also just just interesting interesting I don't know when we'll get a full understanding of this in terms of the impact, but I'm just going to be interested to see with the Bills how they respond from that loss to Kansas City in the playoffs. It was devastating. Are they going to go the route of the New England Patriots when they miss the opportunity to go down at the greatest football team of all time record-wise, losing to the New York Giants at the Super Bowl? They rebounded and won a few more championships, participated in a few more championships, or... Are they going to go the way of the um, Atlanta Falcons or the Seattle Seahawks who lost their opportunities to uh, win a Super Bowl, Seattle and uh, Atlanta losing to New England? Now, 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 look, I, I, I understand. Buffalo lost to Kansas City in the divisional playoff. This wasn't the Super Bowl. I get it. I understand it. But, man, you, you never know how teams will rebound, you know, how teams will re- react from something as devastating as what happened with Buffalo. You have to remember, man, what was it? Less than 20 seconds away from moving on and beating the uh, Kansas City, the the defending conference champions, Kansas City football team, 13 seconds. And they allow allow Kansas City to move down the field to kick themselves a field goal. And then losing in overtime like that. And, and yes, I thought too much was made on the, well, they won the uh, coin toss and because of that, whoa, whoa, we, we, we need to change the rules and blah, blah, blah. I mean, hopefully that, uh, that's not going to be playing too much into what's happening with the bills moving forward, but it's just a situation where you, you never know, man. This is the NFL. And we said it before and we say the begin, we'll say it again. There's going to be a team that we all think is going to absolutely suck that is going to shock the NFL world and be much better than they were last season with the Cincinnati Bengals. And we're going to have a team that has championship aspirations that they're not going to all of a sudden, you know, go 4-13. and 13, But you're going to be sitting around going, what the hell happened? What exactly happened? I mean, you know, was your Sean McDermott, this is what, year number five or, or, or something like that? Hey, man, you know, job security ain't that secure depending upon how the season goes. When you're speaking about a team that you have this season that has championship aspirations. So we will see what happens with that. So hopefully, as I end this, 
hopefully the uh, <laughs> audacity will be nice to me and we'll go ahead and hopefully get this recorded and have this recorded. So uh, hopefully that will happen again. If you're listening to this, the answer to that question is in the words of Brian Danielson. Yes, yes, yes. So there we go. So I want to thank everybody for listening to my podcast. I want to thank you so doggone much again. I'll be putting down something for my YouTube episode concerning what's happening in the world of sports, talking about Serena, talking about the NFL, and talking about some other things. Um, you know, check me out wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And again, go to Wendell's World in Sports, the YouTube channel, subscribe, and like my videos, comment, do all those good things. Until the next time I see you, man, as, as usual, you know, go out and uh, make a difference in someone's life. Go out and do some things, man. Go out and learn something. And then take that knowledge that you learn from someone of a different background, of a different race, of a different religion, of, uh, you know, different lifestyle. Learn from it. Grow from it. And uh, use it as the positive. That would be the only thing that we need to do. Again, too late for my generation to live in a society that I would love to live in where we judge people based on what type of human beings that they are, what's in their heart, how they treat others. That's the main thing. That should be the only thing we should be judging people on, not by their gender, not by their bank account, not by what side of the track that they're from, not by what religion they have, if they have a religion at all, not by their gender, not by their race, not by their cultural differences, not any of that. We should be loving people, judging people, respecting people based on who they are as human beings and nothing else. My generation won't get there. Hopefully, through lessons that we can take and give to our children and give to the younger generation, hopefully we can uh, help them with that and uh, so they can live in a world full of love and unity without the overwhelming stench and without the overwhelming presence of bigotry and misogynistic terms and, and homophobia and racism and all those type of things. That's what I hope. That's what I pray. Let's go ahead and make it happen. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. Get me out of here with some music.